0: Um, Julie Nuker is from the Title IX office, she's our acting Title IX coordinator and here to basically tell us just some more about uh, the federal Title IX laws, what we here at AU um, do, the AU-specific policies, and um, basically how we can get involved since um, we are a group that is, you know, working uh, towards prevention um, and resources for uh, survivors of sexual assault. So. Uh, Julie, you can take it away. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Uh, Thank you for having me this evening, and thank you all for participating in this organization. Um, It really, it really says a a lot about our future um, doctors, professionals, physicians. Um, So, so thank you for for your dedication. Um, So, I'm going to share my my screen now. All right, so everyone can see my presentation. Great, all right, Uh, so. There we go, hold on just a second. Um, So know your Title IX. All right, so the definition, Title IX is a federal um, act. Um, It was established early in the 70s, 1970. Um, and it's been adapted and changed, you know, throughout the decades. Um, with our most recent um, adaption um, was this past year, 2020. Um, so it's in place to ensure that no person um, that's receiving education or an employee in an edu- educational institution um, is a, A victim of sexual harassment, so the the purpose is is everyone should have free and not free (laughs) um, access to. um, Education without worrying about discrimination, um, gender based sexual harassment, um, and it's all institutions that receive any federal funds are mandated to comply with this Title IX. Um, So we're, you know, mandated to have my position here to serve as a. um, As the coordinator to ensure that we are um, sticking to this law, since um, we are within this system of Georgia, the University system of Georgia, um, we fall under under them as well. So within the system of Georgia, they have their policies as well. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. So sexual harassment can be one or more of the following. So it can be an employee conditioning educational benefits um, on participation in unwelcome sexual conduct. So that that means uh, I will give you a a grade if in exchange for some sort of sexual act or favor, Um, so it's. That is one way that it can um, fall within sexual assault. I mean sexual harassment um, misconduct. There's also the unwelcome conduct that a reasonable person would determine so severe, pervasive and objectively offensive that it denies a person that equal access I was talking about to a school's program, activity, um, or employment. Um, And then there's also any form of sexual assault um, as defined by the Clery Act, also dating violence is included, Um, domestic violence, stalking, sexual exploitation are all things. So sometimes it can, there can be allegations that, that incorporate more than one of these, but they have to be at least one. Alright, so I just wanted to talk since um, we're talking about medicine, that sexual harassment in medicine is is pretty high. Um, it's there was a, a study which I highly recommend reading it. Um, an article that 40. On average, 40 to 50% of female medical students have reported uh, experiencing sexual harassment in some form from faculty or staff. And that was a, a 2018 um, report. And the harassment, in their definition, w- would fall under these three areas. Gender harassment, which is verbal or nonverbal behaviors of hostility, object certification, exclusion, or second class status. Um, and that one and then there's also the unwanted sexual attention, which could be unwelcome, verbal or physical sexual advances, which d- does could include actual sexual assault in that category. Um, then there's the sexual coercion, which is favorable treatment um, as a condition on sexual activity. Um, The most, um. The highest degree of occurrences was the gender harassment. So I just want to touch on that a little bit. So we talked about. These sexual misconduct, so I want to be clear that there's a difference between criminal offenses and uh, title IX sexual misconduct violations. You know, there are some overlap, but I we are not, you know, in the criminal, we coordinate very well with the, with AUPD and local law enforcement, but it's, it's definitely not the same. Um, so, some things that my office deals with is dating violence, and that isn't, uh, that can include even a past relationship, if it's been, Determined that it was romantic in nature. Um, domestic violence isn't just um, spouses; they can be co—you know—partners that are cohabitating. Um, there can be if you if you share a child. So, if even ex um, spouses as well will fall under domestic violence. Um, Sexual exploitation, you know, of course, we're seeing a little bit of a increase in that with COVID and because that includes. Anything electronic, um, you know, through social media, any unwanted photos, videos, audio. Um, either taken without someone's permission and or um, distributed without someone's permission. Um, and of course it, it also falls Sexual exploitation could be. Um, cyber, anything cyber related as well. Um, then we've I've already talked about the sexual harassment definitions. Um, stalking. And in order for it to rise to stalking, it has to um, also meet that pervasive, objectively offensive, where there, there's, it's kind of, Results resulting in. Affecting their their life fearing for their safety. Um, So it can't be just like a one time he's he or she's following me or something. Um, Then there's the non consensual sexual contact, which is any touching unwanted um, touching. Uh, But then they've this is a a recent change in the policy is they have split the two, which is good. Now there's a non consensual sexual penetration, and that is any penetration of any um, genitalia. So it could also include, uh, but it also could include um, anus and um, uh, oral. All right, so just our our core requirements and principles within Title IX and our responsibility in our office is to uh, provide policy and process. um, Uh, on our website, we are required even to do certain orientations and trainings, and it it really is part of their requirements. Um, But that process that we have in place needs to be easily accessible. It needs to be fair. It needs to be equitable and it needs to be timely and transparent. So, um. What we do for one party we do for the other, so that's. Uh, what's different about the, the criminal realm is. My office has to be very neutral. And until there is determination that there's been conduct violations. Um, or if we have determined that there is immediate danger, you know, for our community as a whole. Um, so with that being said, though, we do ensure trauma informed policy process and procedures, so uh, we are mindful in our investigation and questioning of what trauma and for you know what traumatic. Um, neurobiology. Um, and trauma can can look like for memory and your recall, things like that. Um, let's see, so. We need to make sure that we're responsible for making sure our our policies are free from conflict of interest and to. um, There are times when we. Might be investigating a situation, and if we do determine that there's a conflict, then we have have um, have hired outside investigation investigators that are not affiliated with AU. So we're very mindful of of making sure that that it is absolutely as fair as we possibly can make it. Um, I already talked about how education and prevention for not just students, but for faculty and staff is required. Um, Every every new faculty or staff member is required to take the online training as well as um, students. And we are, of course, need to keep in mind that we want to prevent reoccurrence and respond promptly if there is. And we want to prevent and address retaliation as well. And I'll talk about retaliation in just a minute. So within the jurisdiction, um, it needs to, for the most part, for Title IX, it has to be either, it has to be in the United States, since this is a federal law. Um, It needs to be, it could be on institution property, so that's pretty standard or an affiliated event or program where we as an institution have substantial um, control. Um, Buildings owned or controlled. So they might not be our actual uh, property, but we might lease or rent or be affiliated in some way. Um, So this is for the actual Title IX jurisdiction. And I mentioned earlier that our system office, USG, has determined has made um sexual misconduct policies where, in certain circumstances, if a allegation was to come forward and the jurisdiction happened to be um, at at a someone's private apartment, let's say um, but we knew or we had reason to believe that it was going to affect. A students ability for that equal access to education. Then we could intervene with Title IX. So both parties, of course, would have to be affiliated with AU. Um? And so there's I just want to let you know those different variations. I also wanted to throw in there that the substantial control. Um? Or recognized student organizations, so that could be at a fraternity house that might not be AU property, but it's a affiliated, sanctioned organization. So we would be able to initiate um, measures under those circumstances as well. Okay, so if someone um, is has been made aware that there has been A, a violation, um, a sexual assault. There are many, several ways to report it. They, so it can either be a reporter, someone that just is aware of it, or it can be the, who we call the complainant, the person that is alleging this happened to them. Um, that we have online, uh, that's the most anonymous way to report. Uh, is online through our website. Uh, Of course, the most information you provide, the better response we can we can give. Um, you can always call our office. You can email um, myself uh, or whoever's the Title IX coordinator. um, Directly Uh, you can you can do an AU a, a police report first. So whenever a police report comes forward that looks like it could be a Title IX situation, they um, send over. That report and then I follow up. Um, uh, Often. You know, many times reports are made through housing. It might become. um, Especially like dating violence, those kind of occurrences. Um. An RA might bring it to our attention that we might want to look into, you know, a certain situation. Um, the Office of Dean of Students, the Care Team. So the Care Team is affiliated with the Dean of Students, and th- this is another way that our institution has set up to protect um, our student body. Um, is any concerns it doesn't have to be Title IX or sexual misconduct related. It's also you know. Uh, depression evidence, maybe they're homeless, um, any, any type of concern. There's also an anonymous online form that someone can report to the care team and. uh, If the care team thinks it's just like AUPD, if they think that it rises to a Title IX concern, then they'll share that with me. Um, so once. The report comes in, however way it is um, there. The Title IX coordinator will then meet the, you know, set up a time to talk to the reporter. And the complaint to find to get a better understanding of what happened. If it would, if found. Um, you know, responsible, would it rise to a Title IX situation? Um, this is a time that we get. Any time any type of interim measures or support services can be offered or provided. That's the time because we're assessing that safety, um, that concern. What you know, how are how are, how are you doing in your, your coursework? Is it affecting? Um, those you know situations. Um, we also pretty quickly will meet with the respondent, the person that's the accused to get his or her side as well. And also, like I said, we have to be. Um, equal um, I will. We have to provide the same options. Uh, to both parties. That we i not talk about that in a second. <laughs> so some of the examples of interim measures and support services for both employees and students is No matter what, it has to, especially this is really talking about the intermeasures, have to be non disciplinary, non punitive um, services to both parties. So remember, we we have not determined if someone has violated a a misconduct policy. Um, But we might want to offer them counseling, uh, or we can offer them outside in our community rape crisis. If they're an employee, we have a uh, employee assistance program that provides counseling as well. We always want to offer medical services, either our student, um, student health services, or of course an ER if it's acute. Um, If they have not already reported to law enforcement, we would just want to give them that option, that empowerment, and that's where that trauma informed comes in. this is an option. It's absolutely your choice. You are not required to to do that, but this this could be another avenue you want to take. Um, sometimes we need to offer modifications to someone's work or class schedules. So if we're talking about a student situation and it was um you know, non consensual sexual assault, let's say. Um, and they're both in the same class. And the the complainant is having a very difficult time focusing, she or he is scared. Um, and there can be times when we need to switch the, a class. Um, need to remove someone or for someone's work schedule, just change their hours. Um, That's extreme. It doesn't happen that thankfully that often here doesn't have to happen. Um, The one thing that happens more often is the mutual no contact directive and that's put in place to basically say, okay, while this um, we work this out, we go through this investigation. Remember, we're not saying this is disciplinary, but just to protect both parties and the institution, we want you just to stay away from each other, have no contact, um, which also includes social media, um, talking through third party, you know, friends, fellow, um, you know, med students or, or whatever. Um, that's pretty common. Um, and oftentimes it'll stay in place even after an investigation has have, has concluded. We just think it's the best interest of both parties to just keep their distance um, and have that. And if there's been any um, evidence that someone has intentionally violated a mutual con- no contact directive, then there will. That's an, an even additional conduct. Um, Repercussions um, through the dean of students if it's a student. Um, Excuse me. So, sorry about that, I had a tickle. So, I already said they have an option of filing a criminal complaint with AUPD or local law enforcement. So, if it didn't happen here on campus, we would direct them to. Um, local law enforcement, or we would direct them to if it was a domestic or dating violence situation, we could direct them to safe homes or rape crisis and they can help them with, you know, exit plans and and safety plans um, and things like that. Um, If so, the next step in that whole intake process would either be an investigation. And that would be handed off to a trained investigator here at Augusta University. Um, Or sometimes we're able to mediate an informal resolution where the benefit of that is neither part you know the no one's really found responsible of violating conduct. It's 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 in place for situations that aren't as pervasive or severe, and they can be worked out mutually, usually keeping that mutual no contact in place. um, Keeping maybe a letter of apology uh, might initiate some extra training, things like that. If it goes through the investigation process, it it then has to go to a, a hearing so once the investigator finishes their report and determines their recommendations, what they have found, then it goes to a hearing panel for students. and It's made up of three um, faculty or staff members that are have no conflict of interest or obvious, you know. Conflicts in any way. to determine to, the decision makers for student as respondent cases, and this is handled through the um, student con, dean of student office. So once they have made their decision, this is where, peop, you know, both parties are interviewed. They're even cross examined in this new policy, which is a um, something that has really um, stirred up the advocacy um, groups. Uh, and probably will be changed here when the policy changes again with this new administration. Um, that's sort of the the prediction. Um, but both parties get to cross-examine by their visor. Um, they both have to be at the hearing and this is when the, the hearing panel determines if there was findings and what the um, sanctions would be, and sanctions can range anywhere from warning, education requirement, community service, um, probation, and you know most extreme would be ex- expulsion. Um, and I already talked about the informal. So if both parties agree to an informal resolution. Um, then they have to you know, sign it. There, there's no going back on that. You can't just change your mind tomorrow once it's decided on. Now, if, you, if somebody violates the terms of that revolu- uh, revolution, resolution, then there would be conduct concerns there. Um, and, of course, the university itself has to agree to this informal as well and I think it's also worth noting at this point let's say a complaint um does not let's say someone reports this um some reports a dating violence situation this this is pretty pretty likely um reports her friend she feels that she's really in a dating violence situation her friends in denial um she They're both students. Uh, The Title IX coordinator reaches out to the complainant. Um, There's no response. Uh, There's even been a, uh, however, a police report has come in as well. Um, Title IX coordinator continues to reach out uh, and there's no response. So then the Title IX coordinator reaches out to the respondent to see if if there's any response there and neither party is, is participating or cooperating. Um, if they're students, they don't have to. However, as an institution, if if we feel that this is a safety concern for either party or the greater community, then we can initiate a Title IX investigation without them. So um that has happened, and especially if you think you have enough information. To find someone responsible. So, with that AU police report, um, there was photos of 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 you know markings from the physical um, assault, and there was you know a weapon involved. There was a witness, a roommate witness. So, with uh, that amount of information, you can go on it, go at it on your own. And I think it's also important to to state here that unlike the criminal uh, system, for Title IX purposes, the preponderance of evidence um, is just more likely or not. So it's just 50% in a feather. If you think it was more likely than not to have occurred, then they are found responsible. Um, so. This is the, I don't think you need to, but if we if I share the presentation, you might be more interested, but this is our whole uh, Title IX sexual misconduct process and the different ways that we can go. Um, sometimes we have to automatically dismiss a, a complaint. Um, if the respondent is no longer in our control, no longer a student, and we you know, just have no control over them, there could be that situation. If it happened way outside of our jurisdiction, we would have to dismiss. But we always, even if we have to dismiss a complaint, we always provide those um, protective measures, those resources um, as well. Um. So now I just want to talk a little bit about the prevention efforts that we are. We do here at Augusta University. I mentioned the mandatory new student and new employee training. That's an online. um, Through LMS. um, And there's situations like this. Uh, I call it the the great the (laughs) the yearly tour, the annual tour. But you know, programs already have us set up so you know first year medical student orientation, new residency orientation. Um, I'm, I'm going to math math. Um, graduate students. I'm speaking, you know, it's just a, it's just a. New re, you know, uh, RAs for housing. I'm speaking to them about what to look for. Um, so there's we take. Any opportunity to get the word out. You know, what are the resources here? How to report? What's the process? What's your rights? Um, so, as often as we can do that, we do. Um, we go to certain tabling events and panel events around campus um, for for various reasons. Uh, we have a social media page. We have a, a full website with all the with all kinds of um, resources and reporting options and some videos. Um, training um, PowerPoints are there for how we were trained. Um, and then we have some some fun campaigns that we really and this is where I would like your organization to to be a part of. Um, We every every year we have a so. Domestic Violence Awareness Month is in October and we do various things throughout campus to get that that word out. We partner with safe homes. um, Tabling events. um, We partner with different organizations there in the past before COVID we would have a. You know, light the night um, walk in remembrance of those that were victims of domestic violence. Um, there's just different things. So, um, TD, uh, Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month is in February. And you might think, oh, well, how, we're not teens. Well, it incorporates anywhere from 13 to 24 age range. So, it's more of the dating violence awareness. Um, and it's not as big as our other two campaigns, but I want to grow it. I think it's I think it's important. It, there's some really great resources out there. Some movie screenings we can do. Uh, we try to engage uh, fraternities and sororities a lot because they have you know certain amount of hours they have to do. So that's how we can get them to things. Um, and our last um, campaign of the. Academic year is always in April. It's sexual assault awareness month, and that one's pretty big too. I mean, hopefully you saw some of those T shirts hanging up throughout campus. Um, there was health science um, right there by the Student Activity Center. Uh, those were T shirts to bring about that impact of, of victims. Um, so so either a victim or someone that has been impacted by sexual assault created a T-shirt with some sort of message. And, and that traveled across uh, all the campuses this year. We also have, we were at the, we just take over things, take over Tuesdays and however we can get the word out in a fun way. Um, try not to scare people, trying not to, you know, don't be afraid to talk about it. Um, so we want to encourage teach for the undergrads, especially um, bystander intervention. Um, if you see something, say something. Um, consent. A lot of um, young adults don't know what consent really is, and in and how um, drug and alcohol can play a part in that. How um, other other things can impact consent. So, I would really when when we start uh, gearing up for these awareness months, I'm going to reach out to this this organization and see how maybe you want to um, take on an event yourselves. You know, what are you don't even have to you know just take on a, a screening that is targeted. Um, to your your medical um, side of things, there's there's a, a documentary that came out about um, sexual harassment in medicine. I forgot the name, um, but we I found out about it too late this last April, and we want to initiate that this year. Um, we want to use use it. I feel like. We're really good at the prevention and awareness efforts on summer bill. But we need to grow it on health science so I could really use your help with that. Um, let's see. I already told you basically how to report. We have the online option. My email. I recently created a generic email for title nine to help people remember because who knows how to spell my name come on. Um so. <laughs> Um, so it's title underscore nine at Augusta.edu. Um, so I've already said this a little bit, but what can we all do? Not just you, but what can we all do? We can all cultivate a safe and secure environment. Um, don't be afraid to talk about these these, you know, this the, the subject matter with your your fellow classmates. Um? Your don't be afraid to report Um, bystander intervention intervention is is key um we need to remember to keep establishing or keep complying to that fair equitable and unbiased policies and procedures and systems and create an environment that is free from retaliation so i know so often um People are afraid to report. They're afraid to report because they are going to be retaliated against. So they're not going to be believed. Um, it's going to affect their 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 education or their career. If we're talking to an employee, more you know, it's just, they just it's not worth it. Um, it's not going to make a difference. You know, they they have that that mindset, and and it's up to all of us to change that. Um, We've got to change the culture and it doesn't just take, you know, one person in Title IX office. (laughs) It takes it takes everyone to establish and believe in that that change. Um, But if there are. Policies in place for retaliation. I mean it's it's clearly stated in the student code of conduct and it's clearly stated in our human resource policies that if. You know, it is absolutely um, against policy to retaliate against anyone that has come forward in, in a complaint of harassment or discrimination um, or has been involved, you know, as a witness to to an investigation um, and there are. Um, procedures in place for retaliation claims. So we encourage people to, um, and in my process, um, when we do intakes, we remind them all the time of the retaliation policy to try to ease people's um, fear of of that. And these are just some resources. I know you're not going to jot this down, but it's on our website anyway, but we do have, you know, our a great um, campus police, their community. Um, they, they really are invested in 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 the students. We have the student counseling and psychological services, student health, um, employee relations, rape crisis, sexual assault services is the community program. Um, in safe homes I told you about is for domestic violence here. Um. I was talking 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 really fast um and now it's your turn if you have any questions um um, I'm open
0: thank you for that uh presentation Julie I actually had a question Uh, so I know you talked a little bit about this but um how people don't come forward, uh, and report and how rates of reporting are very low. I think like 30% of survivors report. And part of that, uh, obviously can be due to fear of retaliation. Uh, but I think another part of it is just, um, that these investigations or hearings don't usually go in the survivor's favor, even though we know that, um, the vast majority of survivors and people who report are not lying or making it up. Um, And a lot of times they can even be more traumatized throughout the process, especially in the hearing. Um, I mean, I had a friend who had to go through it and she was saying, you know, they were, it was it was not very trauma-informed, the types of questions they would ask, the kind of like victim blaming, Um, even people who might actually be trauma-informed can still, I guess, like mess up and ask these things and um, it can like cause further harm for the survivor. So I'm just wondering like what AU is doing to improve these statistics and try to um, make a safe environment for people to report and make sure that the investigations
1: are fair? Well, um, I think the the, the really staggering, um, I just want to just correct you Just a smidge, but the really staggering underreporting is in the criminal system. Um, and the, the convictions are, it's a one in a thousand. That actually serve time in prison. So that's the one that is just horrific, and it's many of our local law enforce, enforcement because I, I did used to work in the advocacy sector. Um, so I had to deal with law enforcement, and and they're not they're 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 far from trauma informed. Um, but there's that shame in reporting. Um, the because you know what if I should have done something differently. Um, also, many people don't report because they might not even know that it was either a, a crime, if we're talking that world, or a conduct policy violation. Like they don't even they 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 know what happened to them was wrong. But do I have any rights? So the it's the lack of knowledge, the lack of understanding, the lack of rights. Um, there's the you know not being believed, being ashamed, being embarrassed. Um, and as far as a you um, by by ch- trying to spread spread the word. Uh, more training in um, the. Like I said, the the evidence only has to be a preponderance in Title 9 world 50%. And a feather. So it is more. The statistics are a little higher for for violations in in Title 9 than they are and or a lot higher than in the, the criminal component. Um, but we. I'm hoping. That. That the new policy, like I said, I don't. They were trying very hard. They were trying with the new policies to make them more equitable. Before there was um, concern that they were too complainant or victim centered. And they were not allowing for that fair. Access to respondent so and then I think they overcompensated by by allowing the 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 hearing process. I I personally feel is. The. The least victim centered. Um, Now there are. Policies in place where you're not allowed to bring up anyone's sexual past. Um, you're not allowed to bring up anyone unless they have. Authorized that um, anyone's. You know, mental or medical, um. Records. So there's there's those things in place. Um, Sometimes the questioning can be difficult and. But what what I know I have tried to do as an investigator before I was in now in this role was to give. The complainant, the the, the alleged victim, um, lots of breaks, you know, reassurance, um, those resources every time I would meet with them. So it wasn't just the the coordinator that was offering those resources. It was me doing a health, especially after I had to ask difficult questions. You know, how are you? You know, do you have someone to go talk to now? Um, you know, those those kind of safety measures. Um, what what do you do for self care? So I kind of took it a, a, a step, but I would do the same thing for the respondent. Um, to make it equal. You know, are you OK? Um, do you have a, a, a support system? Do, do you want to do the counseling? Um, self-care, I think support, you know, what, what can you do for fun? Um, what can you do to get your mind off of it? So I would try to be as compassionate and understanding and also check that that safety, the the, the safety plan and the support system. So that's. That was a really long answer. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. But as a organization that's invested in this, if you have suggestions. I'm open to suggestions.
0: If no one else uh, has another question I'll ask like a follow-up to my previous question for the hearings uh, the investigations or the um, hearings the people who do do those do they go through any sort of trauma-informed uh,
1: training um the the panel the panel the panel hearing officers people um, dur- yeah during it's probably not enough. To be honest um there is there is um a couple of slides that you know we're trained by usg um to but that is something that as the acting title nine coordinator i can follow up and do like that is something that i could provide our institution it's not mandated um by the government or by our state um, but it is something that I could do that would only be helpful um, and I know I even know people that are trained um, counselors that are trained to to teach that so that's you gave me a suggestion right there.
0: <laughs> are there any other questions I don't want to be the only one asking I do questions. know
1: I do know our law enforcement our particular law enforcement AUPD, they do a trauma informed um, training and a refresher every three years..
0: the um, the accommodations that you were talking about earlier in one of the slides about you know you can get, uh maybe like your schedule changed or something like that something um you know if you're the survivor something to kind of alleviate like having to see the person um the perpetrator i'm just wondering can anyone do that or do you have to have basically like the results of an investigation to be able to uh get those protections
1: there it does not have to be at a conclusion of an investigation. It can be at the the start, um, you know, as soon as that's reported and the intake has occurred. Now, is it going to be just? Oh, hey, I don't like this guy. I want, you know, I he, you know. Um, it, it needs to be determined, you know, loosely determined, not through an investigation, but determined that it really is affecting the coursework, um, because we have to be careful that we're not putting undue burden. On the respondent, because the way that Title IX is written is both parties have equal access to education. Until determined that there was, you know, uh, a violation. So, um, We had to be very delicate of that When I do think that there needs to be a class switch, especially if um, you know if it's if it's a huge lecture hall. So I take certain things into consideration if it's a huge lecture hall. Um, and there it's. There's been. You know, it is not a violent allegation, so there is no. you know, non sexual penetration or there's or you know, so a nonviolent situation. Um, and if it's a huge lecture hall and they could we you have that no contact order in place and they could easily. They don't have to be in a group together. They could sit on opposite ends of the auditorium lecture hall. Um, then I think that's doable. You know, it's it's maintaining that space if it's a a a small lab situation um it was a police report that came with you know a violent situation a stalking um of a an ex um and then there could be cause to to change a class um or there could even be cause there are some interim measures where that respondent has to be removed, put on probation until investigation is complete. So it just depends on the severity of the allegations, the circumstances, and and just a a, a healthy balance.